This is The Workflow Show, the podcast covering stories about media production technology. From planning to deployment to support and maintenance, we cut through the hype and talk about the nuts and bolts of secure media solutions to offer you some workflow therapy. I'm Jason Whetstone, Senior Workflow Engineer and Developer for Chessa. And I'm Ben Kilberg, Senior Solutions Architect at Chesapeake Systems. In this episode, we welcome technologists from Cinedec, which specializes in live media ingest solutions. Ben and I will discuss how their API-first platform addresses some of the challenges of multi-site live media ingest over long distances. Our guests are Jane Sung, Chief Operating Officer, Charles Dotremont, Product Development, and Ilya Duretz, Project Manager from Cinedec. First, I'd like to remind our listeners to subscribe to The Workflow Show so you know when we have released new episodes. And it also helps us know how many of you are listening on a regular basis so we can keep doing this thing we love doing. And also send your feedback or suggestions to workflowshow at chessa.com. And you can tweet or hit us up on LinkedIn at The Workflow Show. Now let's get into our discussion with Cinedec. So let's talk about the nuts and bolts of this a little bit. When you talked about moving this ingest platform into the cloud or, or trying it out, what did that look like? Was it basically spinning up some VMs and some sort of a compute infrastructure in the cloud? You know, what, what, what did that look like? And what storage are you guys recording to? Yeah, what's the storage? What's the compute look like? Is it, as long as it's not trade secrets or anything. <laughs> right. Yeah, so actually uh, we started thinking, can we move it into the cloud and start thinking of uh, what is the requirement for the system to, to run our software? And we start, start uh, like writing down the points. Okay, so we need a GPU. We need a CPU of that class. We need so much RAM. Okay, uh, and we need that like operating system. And uh, we start, start getting to, to the cloud providers and see what they can provide us with. And uh, find out that actually AWS provides that instances of uh, with GeForce video uh, cards on board, and we can easily use it for our Synodec as it's one of our major requirements at the point. And uh, we have a great a CPU there with a Xeon with uh, enough computation power. And yeah, so starting seeing that way. So that in terms of the compute, it sounds like it was a pretty academic exercise of like, what would we spec out if we were building a system that was going to be bare metal and just sort of yeah. transitioning that to what the cloud requirements would be? Okay. What about storage? Oh, well, we're recording. So whenever we spin up uh, an AMI instance, we attach a, an EBS volume. Okay. So it's recording to the volume of EBS. And then once the recording is over, it can be moved over to whatever cloud storage you have, S3 or whatever you have. Gotcha. So we should uh, define AMI as the Amazon machine image and the EBS as their block. Elastic block story, not the ballastic lock story, <laughs> as my dyslexic brain wants to spit out, um, which is their direct attached, usually SSD storage that um, you would record directly from the CPU over to. Yeah, and and using that kind of storage allows us to have workflows like edit while capture in the cloud. Mm -hmm. There's actually a lot of other interesting workflows that came out of being able to put our product in the cloud. Yeah, let's talk about those. Yeah, we have a partnership with a company called Lucidlink, 
who I think you guys know. Mm -hmm. We're very familiar with LucidLink, yeah. indeed. So you can actually, you could just load LucidLink on that same image. Got it. You can write that a proxy file because what Synodec does, you know, we can we can record high res and low res, but you can write that H.264 proxy file to the LucidLink drive and then have your editors editing locally from that same LucidLink share. So that's mm -hmm. really cool. You know, then you're not yeah. having your editors have to spin up instances of, uh, you know, remote desktop or whatever. They can just edit locally um, using LucidLink as the sort of bridge between what's being ingested in the cloud and what they have access to locally. Got it. Right. Yeah. So just, just as an aside, LucidLink is a technology that we have talked about here on the show before. We are going to be having some folks from LucidLink on the show in a future episode, probably very soon, just to throw that out there. In case anyone in case anyone listening is not familiar with LucidLink, basically what we're talking about is the ability to have some things in the cloud that can sort of be cached down to your local system, giving you the ability to use them as if you were just working in the cloud. You know, as, as I kind of explained it, that seems like it would be perfect for what we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And, you know, I think the idea of having remote workflows is so important now mm -hmm. because of COVID, because of, you know, there's just been like a mass migration to people wanting a cloud solution. Maybe they're not ready for it right now, but I think that people are more seriously thinking about, well, how do I actually move this production into the cloud? You could, for a live event, for instance, you could just go with your encoders. Yeah. We're also working with Vidion. You can go with a bunch of Vidion encoders to a live event, stream live to Citadec instance in the cloud and record XDCAM. I'm actually talking about a, a POC, an upcoming POC for a live event that's going to happen. Cool. They're going yeah. to be recording two stages, five cameras per stage. The person operating Cynodec is going to be in LA. The event is happening in Atlanta. The editors are going to be everywhere. And basically by capturing all of those XDCAM feeds directly to the cloud, they just have a collaborative distributed workflow, like, boom, that's it. They mm -hmm. don't need to do anything else. So let's break that down, right? So we've got our encoders on-prem, which is sending a stream of uh, HD or 4K or whatever the specific resolution might be. Yeah, in this case, it's uh, H.265. Okay, which, yeah, it's the high-efficiency video coding, mm -hmm. right? Which... The data rate is a little bit lower and the quality is maybe a little bit higher than H.264. Uh -huh. And so that's what you guys are receiving on the Synodec ingest server side. But then once you get that, you're flipping it over to an edit codec that gets stored in the EBS storage, right? Right, right. So they're asking us to create XCAMs, XCAM file, XCAM50 from that H.265. Mm -hmm. We're encoding it live with matching time code across all of the stages for the one stage has one time, et cetera. But just all matching metadata mm -hmm. so that when the editor gets the file, they have access to do like a edit while capture multicam edit, mm -hmm. like while the event is right. happening. And the editor is right. not anywhere near that. I mean, previously, yeah. what's cool about this 
um, POC is that we're working with a company called Envoy, who is helping with the streaming side, and we're actually partnering up with them for this particular POC. He was like, you know, before us, before this workflow, they would set up an entire video village. They would rent out, you know, a couple of hotel rooms for, you know, a week, two weeks before the event, and there would be drives and, you know, there would be just a lot of messy drives and, and sneaker netting and, and all of that kind of stuff. There's just like more room for error that way, you know? Sure. So this is just an, like a super streamlined workflow that gets your media directly mm -hmm. into the cloud. Your editors could literally be anywhere editing with Premiere and, you know, creating content on the fly. And what's great is that you continue to use the workflow that you know. So mm -hmm. I'm sure you guys have worked with a lot of editors. We have also at Cinedag, editors like to work the way they like to work. They want the format that they want and exactly. they don't mm -hmm. want anything else. So mm -hmm. to be able to deliver edit-ready content while the event is still happening, that's kind of cool. And literally, the production team is going there with a couple of cameras and video on encoder boxes. And that's it. So for yeah. this POC, is there any backup that's happening? Any confidence recording on site just in case the network has issues? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I, I feel like, you know, on, on the Synodex side, I don't know because I don't know what they're doing sure, right. um, in yeah. terms of that. I yep. did hear that they're they're floating around, you know, Blackmagic recorders like the Hyperdex as a backup record. Got it. Right. So there might be an SDI out going or two SDI outs f through a switcher from the cameras. One's going to a Hyperdeck and the other's going to the encoder. Yeah. So that at least they've got that safety copy yeah. that if the network has an issue, that that is redundant. Though these days with NDI and SRT, we've got some pretty decent ball works against network goblins, especially with SRT because it does that First, SRT is the secure, reliable transport mechanism, right? I think it's something that High Vision came up with, and then they kind of made it public for a lot of folks, too. Nothing to do with the subtitle files. Right, exactly. <laughs> but what's cool about that is, just like file acceleration software, or it uses UDP to make sure that the packets of the data are going as fast as it can across the wire, one of the things that it does to make sure that the packets get there is it will have a buffer on the sending receiving side. And so on the receiving side, if things aren't in the right order or if it detects that it's missing a packet and say, hey, hey, send me that one again. And then because there's a little bit of buffers time, it can stick that one packet back in order again. And then boom, you've got the file just as you would expect it to be. And the network goblins have been mitigated by your long sword of SRT power. We've had to do a little bit of optimization on our side to mm -hmm. receive those SRT packets. Mm -hmm. Ilya, do you want to speak more to that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually with SRT, it was uh, more straightforward okay. than actually with NDI. That format is really created to be uh, streaming over the internet in that case. Mm -hmm. That's totally true. Yeah, NDI is less suited to that, let's say. Right. Gotcha. Okay, makes sense. And the big benefit, obviously, of both is that they're going over the ethernets so that you know, we're transporting things over the network and that's what they're built to be doing. But one is built for the internet and the other is essentially just built for networks in general. So what did you guys find you needed to do in and around the 
kind of long haul transmission of NDI stuff to make it play nice with Synodec? It's a good question, Ben. Yeah, so actually, the, the main thing here, it was a synchronization between the audio and video in NDI. And unfortunately, they provided that audio synchronization only in the latest version of SDK, which came up only like a month ago or so. <laughs> so we already were seeing the middle of that resolving that issue. Yeah, so that was a uh, major problem we faced with NDI, but once that resolved, Got it works pretty nice. Got it. So it was more of a software fix for NDI in general that made it play a little bit nicer. Yeah. So we had uh, actually the issue when the audio sometimes it was not, not synchronized with the video stream. So it, it can be like 500 milliseconds delay or so. And it's quite important. Yeah. Right. And when you're doing something multicam, that's really important. For sure. Yeah. And NDI is really optimized to, in, re in real life, it's a monitoring mechanism. And the reason that they transport audio and video separately is that they drop video frames when necessary, but they don't drop audio. Mm. Okay. So that, while it's nice in a kind of monitoring environment, it's problematic in a when you want to record every frame coming out of a source, let's say. Right. That's really interesting. So it sounds to me like the NDI, you know, I, I wondered about this before because that's the way I always thought of NDI it was more of a monitoring thing, but I did notice that it had been, been used in production sort of, you know, just transmission of signals for many other uses. So that I often find can be challenging for folks like us, Charles, and when we start adopting, I would even say some of the highly compressed codecs that we have to deal with sometimes that some of these cameras shoot in, you know, they're, they're mainly designed to be a, a distribution format. And then we start finding these, you know, these cameras are shooting in that format, which could be introduces some problems when we're, when we're actually trying to use that stuff. So in this case, you see what I'm saying? You're trying to use NDI as an actual transport, you know, mechanism, and it's not really designed for that. So you have to sort of work around all of the intricacies of it to make sure that that it's reliable. And that's that's true of HEVC. That's a distribution format, but right. it's because it's so space efficient. The camera makers all, you know, jumped onto it the same way they did with H.264, and yep. that's great for storage cards and stuff. But it's terrible for editing. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't make it any easier for us, for the tech folks behind everything, when Premiere says, oh, it doesn't matter what kind of footage you have, just suck it into Premiere and we can edit with it. When it comes down to managing those files and trying to, you know, trying to put a system together that is responsive. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of true. And new tech would have you believe that, you know, everybody's happy with their recorded files too. But editors, just like Jane was saying, they just don't buy that. Yeah, right. They may not have a good reason for it. It may be just simply, it's a word on a piece of paper they know, or it's just, it could be just, you know, sort of superstition. <laughs> it could be any kind well, number mm -hmm. of things, but people like what they like. And if it's not that, then it's a very, very uphill battle to get somebody to change that. Yeah. I mean, it's the difference between a uh, long gop codecs that have higher compression rates, but still look fantastic, and iframe codecs that might be a little bit weightier, but we have each individual frame within time segmented by itself, and the compression happens within the frame, certainly is less taxing on the editorial process. So as an editor, yes. for sure, I, I get 
why they'd want to use something like ProRes or something like that on a regular basis that they just know is going to work well. Well, sure. And well, even XAVC is an iframe codec, but right. the camera codecs aren't. So XAVC that's coming off a camera is a long op and HEVC in particular bogs down mm -hmm. any kind of editing system very, very quickly if you get mm -hmm. multiple layers because it's so um, compute intensive to decode. So right. yeah, that's absolutely true. An editor will have a much better experience just using some kind of iframe codec of any kind. But that's why we have fine folks like Cinedec who can come in and take those gops and record them as iframe codecs and then present them out and even transcode them on the fly so that if we wanted something like ProRes Proxy, you could spit it into LucidLink and our friends in the edit bays, or we should say on their couches or in their offices at home, can grab the files and the bits of information as they're growing during that capture. So Cinedec can spit that out to LucidLink an editor at home could have that growing file on their timeline and be chewing it up and doing the cool things they need to do with it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we even tested to record ProRes HQ in full HD in 1080p directly to LucidLink, and there was almost no delay. So, so it was like five, six frames delay with, uh, when it appears on the uh, other end from, from the recording. So it's really close to real time. Yeah, that's great. I mean, one of the things that I do want to sort of transition to here, and we don't have to spend too much time on it, but I just want to call it out. Being that Chessa is very much about partnerships between various organizations, maybe various organizations that have completely different endgames, it strikes me that the success of what you guys are doing right now is it's, it's really sort of based on those partnerships. You mentioned LucidLink, of course, that's a big one. This technology seems to be, you know, very heavily based around that. It's great that there's the partnership there. Jane, you also mentioned Envoy before uh, for this particular POC that you were talking about. Let's just spend a little bit of time just focusing on the role of partnerships. I think it's great that you're able to, to develop those partnerships. We do the same thing and, you know, every day and what we do. But being able to have discussions like this is great because it, yeah. it makes all the light bulbs go up over our heads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're working with LucidLink. We're actually doing a webinar with them and a company called Dixon Sports who does live logging. So it's actually going to be an edit while capture with live logging with Premiere first. And then we'll also do it with Avid Workflows. Everything's going to be in the cloud. So the idea is that will be capturing in the cloud. Somebody will be live logging against the proxy file that's being written to the LucidLink drive. And then the editor will be able to get the logged in metadata, uh, the tags, and then drag and drop those logged H.264 files to their timeline so that they can start editing right away. So once you start putting everything in the cloud, it just you just get like, a bajillion ideas that sure. start sparking off, right? Yeah. You're like, oh, now we can do this. Now this editor can be here and now we can include this. It's just, there's so many possibilities. Yeah. Another thing about partnership is like, wow, okay, so great. We have this product that you can record whatever you want into the cloud and you can have this like whole workflow, production workflow, but how do you get the signal in the cloud? So that to us was an important thing to address right off the bat, you know, with our capture to cloud product, we've already worked with Vidion. So Vidion is our partner to get the signal into the cloud. I know that we're going to be testing with Makito pretty soon. Mm -hmm. 
And apparently, New Tech has something called New Tech Bridge, which is basically like, I think it's an NDI that they wrap in, SR, in an SRT wrapper. Wow. So apparently, there's like an applet that runs on the receiving end, and there's an applet that runs on the sender end. But having a reliable partner, a partner that we can say like, oh, okay, when you want to capture something into the cloud, this is what you use. That's important for us to be sure. able to say and stand behind. Right, sure. Yeah, so OBV. We also use Larix. You know, Larix actually, I don't know if you know what that mm. is, but it's an app that you use on your Android or iPhone and it streams SRT. It's amazing. Huh. Okay. It's free. And actually, when we put our first instance of Synodec in the cloud, that's what we use because we're like, what can we use? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we didn't. We just didn't have partnerships at that point. Just to test. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And we were speaking with another reseller in the UK, and he's like, "Why don't you let Larix?" So we did, and we all downloaded it on our phone. And the first internal demo that we had of Synodec recording SRT in the cloud was just our developer having his like phone pointed at himself <laughs> and yeah. recording it in the cloud. It was very cool. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, you know, with that being said, we're also looking to the future with this cloud capture solution because, you know, we realize that video is just sort of everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody needs to create video. Small, big, doesn't matter where you are. People are creating a ton of content. And our next step is to have an even easier way to capture directly in the cloud. So even though our client... Our new 2.0 client is brand new and people like it and it's been successfully used already. We're looking to make it even simpler by doing like a one button record. And you can do like literally set up three iPhones or, you know, three Android phones with Larix. And if you're doing like a home cooking show, have multiple angles mm -hmm. and have like a one button you know, multi-cam experience for just a creator. And I think it's important for like, you know, higher ed and, you know, yeah. a lot of different applications where you don't have technical people. Sure. But they need quality content yeah. recorded. Like, how do you address that market? Yeah, I would even say for some very technical people who just aren't video people, they might yes. need such an easy user yeah. interface. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of, one of the use cases that I can think of is just, you know, uh, YouTube influencers, for example. You've got, you know, some of them have, yeah. you know, they have the wherewithal to be able to put a system like that together, but they're not necessarily video editors or, you know, so that that, that sounds like a great use case. Yeah. And it's all on demand, mm -hmm. right? So it's on like a per use basis. We haven't nailed down the exact pricing on it, but it'll be extremely affordable basically. Got it. Yeah. So just to be able to like drag and drop all of your camera files into your bin and just have everything lined up so that you can quickly do an, a multicam edit because frankly, a multicam edit is what we're used to seeing now. Mm -hmm. You know, Charles and I were like kind of looking at just like the validity of editing multicam, even as like a creator. And if you look at all of like the sitcoms from the 70s and now, I think there was like a, a story that came out a long time ago. But basically in the 70s, you had like seven to 10 cuts per scene. Now you have like 300 cuts per scene. Like, <laughs> and that's like a normal multicam edit. People are normally, and you're used to it. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at movies in the you know from the '60s, they'll have a shot that's a minute, 
Like, yeah. what thing have you watched that's made in the last 25 years that, that has a shot that's even like 10 or 15 seconds long? Right. I've seen films that look like they're a continuous <laughs> shot all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very crafty editing there. That, but that's a thing, right? That itself is a thing. Like, Yeah, it's a thing. In 99.9% of the world, uh, like a two or three second shot is a long shot. He's yeah. constantly in a, like that RuPaul Drag Race show it, we were talking about is a case in point. There's probably not a shot that's longer than maybe one and a half seconds in the entire show. Mm. Maybe some of the stage performances, but other than that, they're always treating it like it's like every person who's talking, you move to them. You never hear people talk off stage. Right. Mm-hmm. And multicam, frankly, is a really affordable way to get higher quality content because you're not having to like reset up for every single shot. Sure. You know, as a YouTuber, if you are doing an exercise video or content uh, or a cooking show or anything instructional, you know, me, me as a viewer, I want to be able to see more than one shot because I want to sort of look all the way around and because that's how you learn. Mm -hmm. So being able to create content quickly by having all of those multiple camera angles synced and sort of ready to go is I think, kind of important. So that's what we're planning on doing next. You know, we're planning on making more of a platform-based record solution that is super easy to use, literally a one-button setup. Got it. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Now, speaking of synchronization, if somebody does have some Cinedex servers, you know, maybe they've been a longtime customer and they've got some ZX85 uh, sitting around, but they also want to do some cloud stuff simultaneously. Like maybe they bring one ZX on site and they plan to do some recording with that for confidence, but then they also want to have a replicated workflow into the cloud um, and have some encoders along as well. You can control all of that from the same interface and sync everything up simultaneously, right? Yeah. I mean, our client runs really anywhere. So any device that has a public facing IP address can be controlled and that we've done. I was at a trade show in Oklahoma and I had uh, the client on my laptop on the hotel Wi-Fi controlling a machine in the Ukraine and one in Biggin Hill in the UK, which is Formula One, my garage slash machine room here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you can connect to and control any machine that has, you know, that's connected to the internet in some way. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, because from client application standpoint, there's no difference where that Cyanodec uh, server application is actually doing. And it uses the same API for, for any instance. Right. Gotcha. So if I was a broadcaster and I wanted to use multiple Cyanodex and kind of have a centralized control room on probably a whole lot less expensive than traditional broadcast transmission lines, just all going through the interwebs or a combination of internet and maybe some more traditional stuff, they could control all of that from one application. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So yeah, you can definitely control, like you were saying, on-prem Synodex. You can control Synodex instances in AWS. 
There's even, you know, we were talking with somebody who wanted to maybe run Synodec on AWS Outposts. So I don't know if you know what that product is, but it's yeah. like their, it's AWS's hybrid solution. So mm-hmm. you can literally go to AWS Marketplace, purchase a Synodec AMI to run on Outposts, control that locally, record, you know, push that to the cloud. You can also just have Synodec running in the cloud and and control that with the one user interface. I think that we at Synodec were surprised at how many different applications there yeah. were for the new client. We didn't envision it. And it's a lot like NDI where, you know, maybe new tech was like, oh, it'll just be for monitoring. And then it just morphed into all of these other things because we in this broadcast space are always sort of under the gun to find new solutions to problems with, you know, just sort of taking what's out there and trying to make it work. So even for us, we're like, you know, when somebody asks us like, oh, can you do this? And we're like, yeah, I guess we can (laughs) do it. You know, we haven't thought about it. That's not like a solution that we advertise, but yeah, we can do it. So it's always fun, like when I hear when you just said that, then I was like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. Right. Yeah. And that new client application that runs as an independent piece of software that can run on a Mac or PC, right? And so there isn't a specific web user interface that people necessarily need to log into. It's more of just a piece of software that they run to control um, all of the incoming signals. Yeah, that's correct. But I think when we have this new, new product, right, Mm -hmm. like the one button multicam product, that's going to be a web-based application that you log in and stuff like that. So actually you can use that new UI as well, right? With our existing, you know, it's just the client. It's like, how do you want it to look? Right, yeah. And how do you, like, how do you want to operate it? Do you want the super simple mode where it's one, literally one button, or do you want a little bit more sophistication? So we just want to add some varying levels because we realize that not, not every user is going to be the same. And, you know, you can publish a knowledge base and a user manual and video. It's like, you know, some people just don't want to read it. So right. you have, you have to offer varying levels of accessibility to yeah. the end users. Or somebody else will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you can do that with the API too. You know, you were saying, mm-hmm. Jason, that you really love the idea of uh, an API. And frankly, you can do that, you know, if somebody's using a reach engine or yeah. any MAM and you're like, you know what? I really want the client, my client, they love their MAM and that's all they want to see. You can do something very simply with mm-hmm. our API. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Another thing that really strikes me here is the fact that you can sort of spin up these cloud record instances on demand. That means that you don't necessarily have to invest like upfront in a huge infrastructure, right? Even if you have some infrastructure already, if you need more, you can spin up those instances. So we have a number of customers who have studio installations, but um, the number of cameras goes up and down depending on the production. And in the past, they would have to rent more gear or buy more gear. And now if they get a you know a show that needs 56 GoPros, they can run those instances in just for that show. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's great. 
that gives you the ability to sort of scale up and down. You might make a baseline investment based on like, oh, you know, what's the minimum viable product here in our in our studio? And then, you know, on demand as needed, you know, add these record instances. Yeah, exactly. And I can imagine too, for more event-driven production companies where they know they might do six of big events a year rather than shelling out, you know, $100,000 up front to, for a system, they might just be able to get away a whole lot cheaper just by spinning up the number of channels they need on a per instance or a per event basis and get all of the functionality and perhaps even improved functionality as time goes along. Yeah. And always do not forget about uh, last minute changes. We just decide, okay, so we need to put a, one extra camera here. It will be really great view. But right. previously, you was limited with the amount of cha channels you have. But here, you can just spin up another one. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah, it just means that you can move your production budget, you know, as needed to OpEx when you need it. And that's a that's a great way to put it. I mean, that's the whole model of the cloud, really, that we've talked about many times financially, is that you can move that investment. Mm -hmm. And this is just sort of furthering that, you know, that capability, which is great. Yeah. Other integration touch points, we've talked a little bit, uh, obviously, about the API and what we can do in terms of control. But you guys do some interesting things in terms of the API where, say, we want very specific file names. We could send those file names to Cinedec and say, for this upcoming record, use this naming convention and name the files this way. And even if people were tagging things from the user interface, we could also send things back to, say, a media asset management or a digital asset management system via XML and say, all right, this metadata that somebody might have just clicked in to add on whatever segment that was being recorded in the Cinedec 2.0 UI and just really easily get that back into a MAM, for instance, right? Yes, definitely. We have that. So we have real-time notification regarding what happens on the CNDEC server. So you can be connected uh, with a WebSocket okay. to, to, to the server and get all the real-time updates. So if someone just connected from the client and updates something, you immediately get a notification that something is updated. And you can check, is it uh, aligned with uh, what you need or not? So if not, you can just roll back those changes or just leave with them. Cool. Great. Yeah. I mean, the ability to sort of hook into WebSockets gives us the ability to trigger changes in the MAM when changes in the, you know, the other plat, the external platform are made, which is great. Jason, tell me more about WebSockets. Well, it's kind of based around this idea of a notification system. So let's back up a little bit. When you have a, a platform with an API, you as the user, when you do something, there is a call that comes from your web browser to whatever the platform is to tell it to do something. Mm -hmm. So what's kind of missing there, that's great, but what's kind of missing there, that's all a call and response system. So you, you make a request to the server, and then there's a response about that request. And that is the only communication that happens sometimes. Then there's the communication that comes from the server to either you or to the platform you know, that that's notifying you that something happened, some sort of an event happened. So let's let's take the the idea of a transcoder. So a transcoder has transcoded a file. And let's there's a couple of ways of knowing when that file's done being transcoded. We could sit there and keep pulling the API mm -hmm. and wait, you know, let's say we're pulling it every two seconds. Well now you've got a process, it's firing out an API call every two seconds. And the response may just be, I'm not done yet. So that's a lot of network chatter, right? It's also not the most efficient way of, of dealing with things. You might have hundreds of these processes going on at once. So all this network chatter is just not great, right? That's, that's, that's not wonderful. 
So a WebSocket system can give us the ability to hook into events that happen. So the transcoder could say, I'm done with this file. The webhook would then be emitted from the server saying, this file's done. And if somebody's listening for WebSockets, and in some systems it can even be, we only care about updates, or we only care about new records, or we only care about this type of job. Um, so, so in some systems, there's the ability to filter what we're listening for. But basically, we're listening for changes and reacting to those changes rather than a user wants to do something, so they're going to press a button, and that's going to send the, you know, send the call. This is a Got way it. of reacting to changes. Got it. Just speaking of, like, not WebSockets, because I don't know much about it, other than what you just explained, Jason. <laughs> but one of the things that we, we can do with MAMS is create custom XMLs. And yeah. um, I think in the government space, that's especially important because there there might be like telemetry information, you know, that kind of stuff that's really critical for sort of government and research. So there are a lot of things that Synodec does that, you know, that we don't talk about actively all the time because they're really kind of specific to the application. But adding that kind of telemetry information, supporting things like IRIG time code, which is that military-based time code, those are all things that are really important for some of our customers. Like we have a lot of government customers and that's what they use. That's why they found Synodec. Yeah. We actually have a customer, Charles, maybe you want to tell the story of Ed because he does something really cool with the captioning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. So Ed, yeah, Ed McNichol is a integrator for underwater exploration. Very uh, specific video niche. Yes, <laughs> very specific video niche. So he does ROVs, wow. um, usually on tender ships, and that's where the Synodex are installed. And he did a cool thing with captions inserters where they take the temperature and salinity uh, and other types of sensor data and they push that to a captions inserter and then the captions inserter right and then we grab the captions this is awesome data from the in video stream with the inserted telemetry and write that to a quicktime file that then has all the relevant telemetry with very little latency inside the file so that's always and you can turn it's just human readable right so you can turn it on and off yeah yeah so you can turn it on and off in your quicktime yeah. player or whatever but it used to be that those things would come in through various types of data capture and have to be correlated and time stamped somehow to match and now it all just comes together so we're working with that actually to remove the captions inserter from that process because Synodec is a PC, and PC can take in data through all kinds of different ways, and we can do that directly without the inserter. Yeah, it's like, I'm always like, again, like, I'm always like floored by like what people are able to do with stuff that is out there. <laughs> Give a determined, tenacious person who is passionate about their field, like a platform that's extensible and like all kinds of stuff like that, and you'll find that they will create Definitely. something really, really cool. Yeah. Well, that's... I think that's a great place to wrap, guys. I want to thank you all for your time. Thank you, Jane Sung, COO of Synodec, Ilya Deritz, Project Manager for Synodec, and Charles Dotremont, Product Manager for Synodec. Thanks for your time, guys. Thank you, listeners. The Workflow Show is a production of Chessa and More Banana Productions. Original music is composed and produced by Ben Kilberg. Again, subscribe to The Workflow Show and reach out to us on LinkedIn and Twitter at The Workflow Show. Thanks for listening. I'm Jason Whetstone. 
Warcraft.